Please will you turn in your Bibles to page 972, which is Matthew chapter 8. Page 972, Matthew chapter 8, we're starting a new series, uh, looking at this section from Matthew 8 onwards. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you've been maybe to a Christian conference or something and you've heard some inspiring teacher and you've had some wonderful worship or, or maybe it's happened in church sometimes. And, and, and as you're listening to what's being said, you, you just sort of think how great Christianity is, how wonderful Jesus is, and you're all pumped up and the singing, the worship raises you up as well. And you get to the end of the conference and, and you'd go anywhere for Jesus. You would do anything for him. If you had that kind of experience... Where your, your, your heart's just so full of how wonderful Jesus is. There's no other name like Jesus. There's nobody else like him. There's nothing like having your sins forgiven. There's nothing like being a child of God. There's nothing like knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in you and that you've been adopted into the family of God and God is your Father and you can go into his presence and you can say, Father, to the creator of the universe and you just sense something of the wonder and the power of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then you go home. And it's Monday morning. And you go off to work or you go off to uni or you go to school or whatever it is. And you go into the life that you left behind on Friday before you went to the conference and you walk into the situations that were there on Friday and they're still there on Monday and they're there on Tuesday and those things that you were dreading that are coming on Friday of the next week, they actually happen. And somehow what you heard that was so inspirational and so uplifting and so empowering doesn't seem anything like as powerful on that Monday morning. If you've had that experience, you know that one of the things that happens, and you may not articulate it like this, but one of the things that happens is that there's a question starts to, 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 to work within you. And it goes something like this, what's that? All those things that I've heard about Jesus, all that inspirational stuff, What's that got to do with this? With my life as it is? What's that got to do with this? And for some people, that's the start of a journey away from Jesus. Because what they hear doesn't seem to make any difference to the world that they're in to the life that they live. And somehow after a time of grappling with some of the things they're grappling with, simply being told your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die, doesn't have much power anymore. What's that got to do with this? 
Now, I sense there's something like that going on at the beginning of chapter 8. Do you notice how it starts? Jesus comes down from the mountain. Where's he been? He's been up there teaching and preaching. We've got it recorded for us in Matthew 5 to 7, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom, God's kingdom, that he's come to bring in that will change the world. He's been describing what it's like, and he's been describing what the members of that kingdom will be like. By the way, kingdom of heaven does not mean where you go when you die. It's Matthew's way of talking about what the other writers describe as the kingdom of God. It's God's revolutionary reign that comes with Jesus Christ and changes the world. So they've been hearing all this amazing teaching about the coming of the kingdom and about how that turns the world upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's a complete inversion of the way that the world works, how the power structures work. And then he comes down the mountain to life as it actually is, to reality. Here's the question. What's that about the kingdom and about the difference Jesus makes got to do with the world into which Jesus walks as he comes down the mountain? And you get a glimpse of how messed that up, messed up that is in verse 16. At the end of this section that we're looking at, they brought those who were demon-possessed, those who were messed up at the most fundamental level where evil was rampant, that had destroyed people's lives. And he drove them out, drove out the spirits with a word and healed the sick. We live in an amazing world in all kinds of ways. We know things that are amazing about the world. You know, iPhones and iPods and iPads and nature and so on. But we're also aware that this is a nasty, destructive, messed up world. So I want to look this evening with you at the world into which Jesus walks and one particular aspect of that world that he walks into that's exactly the same kind of world that you and I inhabit. It's the world, world of divisiveness, of destructive relationships, of nastiness between people. And I want to look at three kinds of that kind of destructiveness. First of all, the kind of destructiveness that happens in relationships which says, you're not good enough for us, so you keep away. Don't contaminate us. You'll spoil everything. You're not good enough. Keep your distance. The kind of exclusion that says, you're not one of us, so you don't deserve anything that we have or rightly 
belongs to us that we're entitled to. You're not one of us. And thirdly, you're not important. You're not important. So why should we bother with you? That's the kind of world in which we live, isn't it? Some of you know those kinds of experiences in your relationships. In fact, if you live long enough, you will do. You're not good enough for us. Keep away. You're not one of us, so don't, you don't deserve to share anything we're entitled to. And you're not important. Those are three cases that Jesus encounters here in chapter 8. I want you to have a look at them. The first one is the leper. The second one is a centurion. And the third one is Peter in laws, Peter's mother in law. Let's have a look at them. First of all, the leper. This leper approaches Jesus as he's come down the mountain in verse 2. Leprosy was a horror of disease. It was regarded as incurable. But, the, but there was something special about leprosy in that it wasn't just a disease that was so awful because it was incurable. If you were a leper, you were counted as cursed by God, and therefore you were excluded. You weren't allowed to mix. And lepers had to shout out that they were unclean to warn people so that they would stay away. So there was no risk of contamination. And then there's the centurion. He's a Gentile, and so he's a, an outsider. And so when he comes to Jesus in, first, in verse 8 and, and says that his servant is at home, paralyzed and suffering, Jesus' response is exactly what you would expect and what he expected. Jesus says, you expect me to do something about that? Yeah, you, do, do, do you see that? I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. You expect me to do something about it? And of course, the centurion doesn't, in a sense. He recognizes that he does not deserve anything from Jesus. Verse 8, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Jews and Gentiles don't mix. You're not one of us. You don't deserve anything from us. And then the last one, Peter's mother-in-law. In a sense, she's on the margins of society as well. She's a woman. She's Peter's mother-in-law. She's not even his mother. She's just ordinary. She's insignificant. I don't know too many lepers in Willoughby. And I haven't run across too many centurions, although there are some of those people movers that do move around like centurion tanks. And um, I'm sure we don't have any problems with sick mother-in-laws. <laughs> but those, those three examples express just the kind of world that we're in. People who are excluded because they're not good enough. You're not fit to be one of us. You're not one of us. You're a foreigner. You're a stranger. You don't belong and therefore you don't deserve anything that we might be entitled to. 
And thirdly, you're not important to us. And that still applies disproportionately to women in our society. And behind all of this, of course, there is, as ever, a spiritual dimension. You see, there is always a spiritual dimension about everything because this is God's creation and it all has to do with God. And so, as I've said, a leper was considered to be cursed by God. It's also a picture of the messed upness in us in terms of our relationship with God and therefore our relationship with each other. The Gentile was a religious outsider. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick, which is also a sign of the messed upness of the world. And the fact that women then and in all kinds of ways now are considered less important and often worse than that is a mark of the profound messed upness the spiritual messed upness of the world in which we live. So no, we don't have lepers who are a problem, I don't think, in Willoughby, but we have the same problem of exclusion. You're not good enough. We have the same problem of Gentile centurions. You're not one of us. And we have the same problem of Peter's mother-in-law's you're not important. I want you to see what Jesus does. The leper in verse 2 raises a really, really important question. Or at least there's a question behind what he says. You know, the leper recognizes something of the power of Jesus. But you notice what he says in verse 2. The issue is not the ability of Jesus to cleanse him. It's the willingness of Jesus. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever been in that situation where you thought, yeah, I, I believe in the power of Jesus. But I wonder if he's willing to do anything about me and my life. Yes, he can do amazing things. But would he do it for me? Is he willing? Verse 2, if you're willing you can make me clean. The issue of believing in the willingness of Jesus to deal with us at our deepest levels and restore us is a real issue for us at times. And notice what Jesus does. He reaches out. He even touches him. He possibly reaches, risks his own personal contamination to touch a leper. Then he sends him off to the priest. Why does he send him off to the priest who will verify his cleansing? Because then everybody will know that he's restored and he can re-enter society on the same basis as everybody else. Yes, Jesus is willing and he restores the leper and the leper will now be accepted back. No longer excluded, but now one of us. Is Jesus willing? Yes, he is. What about the centurion? He recognizes the authority of Jesus. And he uses the example of his own authority. He can make decisions because he has authority. He, he understands how that works. 
Verse 8, he says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man, am a man under authority. He understands how authority works. So he says, I tell one to go, and he goes, and that one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does what I ask him. He understands how he must operate under authority, but he also understands the power he has as a centurion to exercise authority under others and how that works. The issue is Jesus willing to use his authority for an outsider, for the centurion. That's the issue. To which the response is, yes, he is. And the servant is healed, and this outsider, this Gentile, has received a blessing just as if he were one of God's people, as if he were an insider. And then Peter's mother-in-law. One of the things that's really interesting about this is that Jesus comes back to the house, and uh, nobody says, according to the text anyway, nobody rushes up to, to Jesus and says, Peter's mother-in-law is really ill. And the implication is that she's quite sick. She certainly doesn't ask. Do you notice what the text says? It says Jesus saw that she was ill. He saw that she was ill. Verse, um, verse 14. He just saw the situation. He saw this woman sick. Seriously ill. And he takes the time to go to her and to restore her. And then do you notice where I am? She gets up and she serves them. And I think that's really striking in Matthew's gospel because in Matthew's gospel, the role of women is really emphasized and their importance and the contribution that they make. And here you get just a glimpse. A woman who in that society would not be significant is restored to life because Jesus took the time to do something for her, to heal her, and then she has a role to play. Let's bring this back to us. In case you haven't got it, it goes something like this. If Jesus is willing to cleanse a leper who's considered to be under a curse and in danger of contaminating society, then maybe, just maybe, he'll respond to you if you cry out to him. Don't you think? Have you got that? If we'll deal with a leper, don't you think that he'll respond to you and to me and he'll accept you. And if Jesus is willing to exercise his authority to respond to the faith of a centurion, a Gentile, then don't you think he'll respond to you if you call out to him? You see, he's that kind of person. He's not different now from what he was then. Look at what Jesus says in case you hadn't understood it. 
Verse 10, when Jesus heard what the centurion said about you not being worthy, but just say the word. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying there? He's saying that people who were considered to be outsiders, Gentiles, will be insiders. They'll come to the party. He's using Old Testament language. But let me put it like this. He's saying people from Willoughby, even you, will be accepted by Jesus. But here's the message for the people of his own day. They'll be subjects of the kingdom. That is, people who considered themselves to be insiders because they did the descendants of Abraham. And the time is coming, and it's about to come fairly soon after this, when all of that, all that surrounds the temple system, everything that's to do with what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, as they understood it, is going to be swept away. That, I take it, is what he's referring to when he's talking about being thrown into the darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's not talking about them going to hell. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's all going to end. But meanwhile, the message of Jesus is going to go out and people from Rome and people from the United Kingdom and people from Willoughby are going to come to the party. If Jesus would accept an outsider like a centurion, don't you think he might accept you? And if Jesus has time for a friend's mother-in-law, then maybe he has time for you. See, there's nobody without significance as far as Jesus is concerned and no one without a role to play. What's that got to do with this? Does it work? And the answer is yes, it does. Um, so does modern technology. That's not good. Let me pull this together. In these three incidents we've just seen here, we see the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus calls it. The kingdom that Jesus has come to bring, breaking in. And it's real. Jesus makes a difference to three people. He changes their lives. The kingdom of God is a reality. It's not just hype. It's not just what's talked about at conferences that whips everybody up. It's a profound reality. In the coming of Jesus, everything has been changed. But it's also a glimpse into the future. You see, what comes in Jesus is the beginning. It's the breaking in of something that will come to its fulfillment in the future. One day, there will be no tears, and there will be no crying, and there will be no death, and there will be no exclusion. There will be no people who are second-class citizens. So what you've got is the reality breaking in in Jesus, and it's a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. And it also shows us something of who Jesus is, the power and the, the authority that he has to cleanse a leper. Who could do that but God alone? 
Who has the authority to say, yeah, Gentiles are in? And then there's that enigmatic servant figure who's referred to from Isaiah 53 in verses 16 and 17. Notice what's said there. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. There's this strange figure that we call the suffering servant. For example, in Isaiah 53, which Matthew quotes, who comes and suffers, but in doing that, deals with all the hurt and deals with all the disease and and deals with all the brokenness of our world. And Matthew's saying, this is the one. And you just had a glimpse of it in what Jesus has done. But here's the last thing. The kingdom comes in Jesus and it's a glimpse of what's to come. But we don't live back then. And the fullness of the kingdom has not yet come. So what about now? So I want to finish with two things. The Jesus who restored and accepted and elevated, who's willing to respond to people who cry out to him, is the same Jesus. If you cry out to Jesus... He will accept you. And he will restore you. But the other thing is this. Jesus is a model for us as God's people. You see, we are to demonstrate what the kingdom of heaven looks like in our own small way. We are to be people who don't exclude people because they aren't good enough. Or to put it the other way around, we are to be people who welcome people even when they aren't good enough. We are to demonstrate what Jesus demonstrates here. And we are to be people who don't discriminate against people because they're not one of us and so don't deserve what we're entitled to. And we are to be a community where people are considered to be important whoever they are. And that includes women. So what's that got to do with this? What difference does it make? It has everything to do with this. It has everything to do with your life and where you're at now. It has everything to do with how we do church and community. It has everything to do with how we live our lives in relation to one another and to other people. Let's pray. Father, please would you bring your word to us in such a way that it changes us the weak grasp afresh or perhaps in a new way or perhaps even for the first time how wonderful Jesus is how life changing he is and Father please give us the courage the faith to respond to him
and then to go out to live for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.